Hey Coconuts, welcome to another weekly market updates with me, Rakesh, where we scout in it to find worthy financial news for you. This week, one of the biggest ones so far is the debt ceiling. We've all heard some news about it, the back and forth. So is it finally going to pass? We're going to break that down. But also, what does that impact? Does that impact the US equities? Does that impact the credit rating agencies? What does that mean for the interest rates and the yields? And does that mean that the US market is still attractive? So those questions are being broken down in our conversation today. And just like it, is there another place that we could put our money into? So we talk about the effect of the US debt ceiling on the Nikkei stock market. Japan has been low over the last 20 over years, but is now the time that the snowball is starting to grow again. We break that down for you with Kelvin Ong, the senior market analyst at Oanda. Let's get to it. Hey, Coconuts. Welcome back to another weekly market updates with me, Rakesh. And Anthony. And our guest today, Kelvin. Uh, thanks for inviting me again to the show, Anthony and Rakesh. Yeah, good, good. Not too bad. Uh, yeah, finally, <laughs> yeah, it's getting a bit hotter in Singapore for whatever reasons. Yeah. And the US market is getting hotter as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, we have to thank Indonesia for the clear skies soon. Okay. So, <laughs> so, yes, you know, yes. we, we have to pray about that one. Well, Three stories for you, Coconuts. First, we're going to start off with debt ceiling. Um, US debt ceiling, obviously, there's been a lot of, of news in that, a lot of uncertainty, so on and so forth. So we've got Kelvin here today, and who better to talk about that? And of course, the Nikkei stock index. So how is the effect of the debt ceiling really going to relate to the Japanese market? I think that's... Um, it's all about Kelvin today, la. so it's always <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I try my best. I try my best, yeah. So now start with the this uh, debt selling, or we call it debt squabbles, uh, between the uh, mm. Biden's administration and as well as the House. The story goes over here is this. Democrats uh, right now are more progressive, or the liberals. Okay, so what they want to do is that they're talking about social costs. So social spending help to close the gap between the very rich and the very poor. So you need spending, right? Then mm. on the Republicans, we have the conservatives. And these conservatives can be the very, very ultra-conservatives like Donald Trump and his camp. Right now over here is that the key thing is on the is that the current house is being kind of controlled or ruled by the Republicans. Okay, by midterm yeah. election. Mm. Previously it was Democrat, all right? So previously, administration, Democrat, Biden, House, Democrat, Senate, Democrat. So now it's House, Republican, Senate, Democrat. So now the problem over here is the House itself is owned by the Republicans. And this Republican House Speaker, that is the one that is the point man to actually negotiating this current debt ceiling deal with yeah. the administration, which is which the Democrats, uh, Ben Baden, he doesn't have the political sway of the conservatives, Republicans. That means the conservative Republicans actually doesn't have 100% full support of the current House Speaker, which is McCarthy. So right now, in the last couple of days, there's some positive sign. Okay, McCarthy, together with the Democrats' negotiator, they actually come up with a tentative deal to actually, uh, number one, hey, you guys can do social spending, but you can't do so much. So ding dong here, ding dong there in a nutshell, they agree to actually uh, increase the debt ceiling, the extension of debt ceiling about now it's about mm. 31 and something plus, extend it, and also, uh, more importantly, uh, suspend the debt ceiling for two years. So that this two years grace period, okay. that means if this is yeah, finally... And, and, and I think crucially also after the next elections. Right? Uh, yeah, so, just so like... Both of them want to push. Yes. Yeah, so 
both of them is not at fault. Can they tell? They can tell, say that hey, we are trying our best to make sure that U.S. technically oh, don't yeah. go in. Of course, they 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 they, they <laughs> blame the other trying our best. Yeah, yeah, yeah trying yeah, our yeah, best. They will say, oh yeah, I'm trying. I try my best, but the other side, ah, uh, yeah, you know, so so unreasonable. Both of them, they are always right. The other side is always wrong, right? Correct. But, precisely. You know, precisely. and and I think right right now where we are is that this will go to a vote soon, so we'll know whether there is an actual resolution to the debt ceiling mm. debate this week. Uh, if the debt ceiling on on Sunday itself, everything is kind of the tenant deal is being finalized. So mm. in there is a rule in the House rule say that uh, the House lawmakers they have a 72 hours to actually read these details before they put into a vote. So that will come on Wednesday. So right now, in fact, starting from yesterday, they actually start a lot of video conferencing between their own camps within camps. Okay, because they got a lot of sub faction in US. Even though I'm a Democrat, within Democrat there yeah. are various factions. Uh. Okay, so now there's a lot of uh, lobbying going on between within the camps to actually uh, hope. Hopefully, get it approved. Uh, to get it approved, or... to get everyone consensus right. So uh, by Wednesday, once it's approved, and now the X date itself, uh, Yellen, uh, the US Secretary said it's fifth uh, of June instead of first of June. So as long as oh, anything, okay. she found for... a few more days. Yeah, she, she found. She found. Like, ah, yeah, then yeah. I suddenly, I got a few more days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, she got a few. I, I don't know. She got suddenly. It seems to me that US itself they managed to dig up some coffers, uh, some money from some IR to actually okay for first of June, put your fifth of June. So now the big question is, there's a lot of optimism going on in the markets, right? So you could mm. see last Friday, right, especially post-NVIDIA stocks, post-NVIDIA earnings, and the Nasdaq 100 actually rallied further. So year-to-date is still the strongest outperforming stock, US major's benchmark stock index, outperforming the Dow Jones and the Russell 2000. So they are up okay. year-to-date by close to 30%. So now the big question here is, okay, yeah, even though we're talking about on Wednesday, the best case scenario, everything is passed. So the next step is uh, the US government got to replenish their coffers. So right now, their cash balance, uh, the treasury cash balance is very, very low. So they are running close to at 20, uh, 17 levels. That's 2017 September level low. So right now, based okay. on certain research estimates, right, they need to actually raise right treasury bills, short-term bills. That means they got to issue bills to fund this very low cash balance to bring up the balance up so that they could actually resume their daily operations to pay their dues. Uh. So mm. estimate amount is about close to about 1.1 trillion that they will face it over the next half of this year. See? So now the big question mm. over here is that do not forget the Fed is now doing QT, quantitative yeah. tightening. All right. Yeah, yeah. So now... Coming with this replenishing of this 1.1 trillion plus of T-bills that the Treasury got to issue, uh, it's a must. Uh, because if they don't issue, that means technically they got they no money. Cash, right? Like, like no you, money, right? The debt ceiling, you don't get the cash, what's the point? <laughs> you you right? <laughs> the question I have here, yeah, exactly, is, is the fact that with all of this going on, what does that mean to the USD? What does that mean to the index? What does that mean to, to the funds? So now let's let's tackle on the liquidity style story first, the stocks first. Uh. So that mm. okay, now the most uh, worst case. So this absorption, this one point one trillion absorption, uh, can be absorbed by two channels. Uh. I mean, it, not say it's only on one. It can be a combination of both. Okay, one is through mm-hmm. the traditional banks reserve. That means talking about banks deposits, and secondly is to money market mutual funds. So these guys will also buy up treasury bills to mm. actually uh, put it in their basket. And they will sell it off to investors as a short-term instrument. Uh. And now the big question is, if this absorption comes from the bank's reserve, so that could eventually cause a liquidity squeeze or drain in the market. That means we start to see potentially US Treasury yield spiking up mm-hmm. because there's a drain. 
Okay, so that will actually increase cost mm-hmm. on funding. And do not forget yeah. over here is that at this point in time, right, the benchmark rate to price bond issuance to buy price corporate rose, right? We talk about the 10 year. The 10 year now is trading close to 3.81%. So it actually went out a fair bit in the last two weeks. First yesterday, US market closed. We got to see how, where is it trading later when the markets start to open again, get a more clear picture. Okay. So the key thing over here is this US Treasury year, right, as a benchmark rate, right, for funding, long term funding is now coming close to a level prior to that banking crisis in March. Mm. So if this absorption right is being taken up by banks reserve, more of it rather than market uh, money market mutual funds, there's a big risk that this treasury yield could spike further and causing a, dra- a liquidity squeeze which could create a negative feedback loop that we see earlier in March. I, I think let's take a step yeah. back, right? Yeah. So, and, and maybe hasten the pace a bit. So, okay. you know, there's two things, right? There, there's two avenues to, by which the Fed kind of puts in or, or draws the debt or makes creates a debt, essentially. One is they, they put it into the bank reserves and that is has the effect of tightening liquidity and, you know, it may yes. be increasing bank losses. Mm-hmm. Then All the right. other is um, money market mutual funds. Does the Fed have a choice? Unfortunately, no. No, they got the, so, the so treasury. Okay. So it's a market player. Yes, so right now, it all depends on where the absorption comes from. You see. So once I issue this treasury bill, so it's all depending on the demand of this treasury who bill. Who purchases okay. it? So let's say if the money market mutual funds purchase more of it, then the liquidity drain will be less severe. But the next worst case, you know, what if the it came from the bank's reserve? So at the end of the so day, the right, purchase it. The bank purchase or the Fed would actually purchase it via the bank's reserve indirectly. Uh. So yep. that could actually mm. cause the liquidity squeeze. So until at that point in time, right, we could have a clear picture. Because right now, there's this, there's this two avenues. Eh? If, it, if, the if there is to... a liquidity squeeze, what does that mean? If there is a liquidity squeeze, what? Sorry, liquidity okay. squeeze. 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 So if there's a liquidity <laughs> there will be a, a situation where we may start to see a repeat of that regional bank crisis. Don't forget over here is that what happened to the regional bank crisis was their balance sheet issue problem. So this budget problem is because they took on too much long-term treasury bonds that hit their balance sheet. So hmm. i.e. their balance sheet got hit, then there's rumors saying that, hey, these banks over here is that were your asset value now drop below your liability value. So that causes a bank run. Okay, so one is, I think, as I said, it's a demand-driven process, right? So Correct. I guess query whether banks want to kind of increase their own reserves by taking up this parts of this new insurance, knowing that their, their own balance sheet is maybe a bit in trouble and everybody is looking at their you know, health to maturity ratios. Um, yep. Two yep. is, I think, even if they do take it up, can't they just use this, you know, whatever they, and if they do need liquidity because somehow it triggers another run, can't they just use this, you know, as, as part of collateral for the new funding window that they have, right? And, and therefore be able to exchange whatever bills that they buy quite quickly for cash and be able to make depositors whole, right? So it's, I, I mean, you know, less sure. It's maybe the same, a bit of the same scenario as much, but we, we do have new mechanisms that have come up after that, that, are meant to deal with this kind of like temporary liquidity crisis in specific banks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. So now, now the problem is over here is that were the market participants believe that? So that's a that's a big question over here. Yes, the mm. the we talk about the Federal Reserve, the the U.S. Treasury. Yes, they do come up with this kind of mechanism to deal with that liquidity, uh, potential liquidity squeeze. So right now, the big question over here is that squeeze itself were the secondary effects of it. That means, i.e., right, we're talking about speculators coming in further to push that treasury yield by talking about selling bonds. Uh. So eventually, you sell bonds, futures, the treasury will go up. 
So eventually it create this vicious cycle where the cost of funding eventually goes up much further. So now the, the key question over here is that were, were these speculators believe that whatever measures that was introduced after that mini what called regional banking turmoil mm-hmm. solved the problem. Okay. So the problem with US Problem. I would say that no, sorry. These are speculators on use and bills or speculators on regional bank stocks? Everything as a whole. So speculators on the futures, that means the futures market. So we talk about the bills market, the, the bonds market, yep. and as well as speculators on the banking stock itself. So it's a twofold thing, you see. So now it's, it's a cycle. It's a cycle, it's a cycle. So it's, it's a, no, it's right? a cycle. If, if you are speculating on use, so, so let's say you are selling bonds into okay. this and squeezing use up, right? Then, then you are kind of taking the loss. There. No, no, no. So, so now I am shorting bonds. That means I'm shorting bonds. I'm squeezing the yep. yield up. So, I'm, if I'm squeezing the yield up, it will cause an feedback loop impact to the banking stocks. So, right now over here is this that. And, and then you are I'm, saying that these same people will also short the banking stocks. Precisely, this is a double whammy effect. So now go back to the trigger. What causes the regional banking crisis to happen is yields, right? Yields keep going up, right? So they are marked to market value. Mm. Whatever bonds they hold is in a loss, paper loss, correct? So despite it's, it's still it's still it's still not a real loss, a paper loss. Mm. But people believe that because of this, it may lead to a bank run. So because of the speculators, they push it in a way is it, it creates a what I call a feedback loop impact, or they call it reflexibility in in George Soros theory. So this cycle, right? Yes, the Fed is at the point in time in early April. They do come up with some measures to put a stop to this reflexibility. Yeah, so it stopped for a while. Okay, so then you get cash-rich bank to come in and help. So, so yeah. cutting this off at the source, right? Yeah. Why would a bank, if you are managing a bank balance sheet, even take up any of these issuance? Because they have a choice, right? Yeah, they have a choice. So they do have a choice. So now the question over here is, if the banks don't take up, somebody got to take up, right? So somebody got to take up. The money market, lah. So, yeah, so it so, will so, be no. So, so, if, so, and so, if the money market doesn't take up, you know, yields go up, and then banks okay. go, haha. At least I, I have a limited exposure. Okay. So, 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 the, okay. exposure. so, so now the, the big question is that if the money markets take up, okay, let's say the markets don't take up, don't take up so much. So somebody yeah. got to take up, right? So these are T bills. So eventually, right, it will still take up by the Fed. So the Fed got to buy, the Fed coming yeah. to buy, right? So once the Fed coming to and buy, then right, talk yes. Talk about the squeeze, lah. The banks are safe. No, right. no, no, no yeah, the banks, banks are, are safe. safe. It's a bit but like the left, squeeze, left hand past the right hand. Right, but the squeeze will be there. That means IE, right, the yield will still go up. No, okay. Bank- so, Calvin, I, I think yeah. whatever the root is, whatever the mechanism is, I think the short answer is yields will go up. The question uh, is, I mean, is there a root where the yields don't go up? No, you can't. Now the right? big question over is which one will go up more? The impact of it. So definitely the first impact, right, if the banks were to absorb it, that one will go up much further. Mm. Because that will actually kind of induce speculators to come in much more to push up the yields, right? So that's a feedback loop effect. Okay, so if it's being picked up by money market mutual funds, the yields will go up, but to a less lesser degree. That means that don't induce speculator. So now what I'm actually trying to say is the action of the speculator that causes this feedback loop cycle. So it's a bit different from fundamentals. Uh. Do not forget over here is that markets, Okay, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So yeah. if... If money mutual funds pick it up, why wouldn't the same speculators try to push yields up? Okay, because market mutual funds, right, at the end of the day, right, they they are not banks. No, they but at the banks. end of the day, you, your action to induce yields going up is selling short bills. It's not, and, and, and then whether you short banks, it's a separate part of the story, 
right? It's the uh, second yes, limb of the I, trade. I, I agree. So now the thing about this is that because market mutual funds, right, at this point in time, right, what they do over here is that they sell, okay, don't forget, they are, they are the business of selling these TVOs back to the market. Yeah. So you see how they absorb, right? Mm. Once they absorb this TVO, they can sell it out, right? So mm. once they sell it out the market, right, at the end of the day, right, do you realize that the money, the money supply gets go back to the market again because investors got to buy this market mutual funds well. yes so not no correct, correct, so, correct. So, no look yeah. so so i agree with you money market yeah. mutual funds that mechanism maybe has less of a liquidity impact right what i'm yes. not so sure about is when you talk about the banks you talk about sure. there being some group of speculators that will try to push yields up why mm. can't that same group of speculators even if the issuance is being taken up by money mutual funds also try to push yields up because of the way the narrative works so it's a psychological thing you see so you see okay. this kind of speculator right they tend to look back in the past what happened so they okay. realize that, hey, in the past, right, this narrative right, causes the years to spike up further, which is, you know, what happened okay. in the original banking crisis. So, so essentially, they're trying to find an analogy to a previous event and then say, okay, fine, this happened last time. Let's try to do the same attack this time and yes, maybe it works yes. this time as well. Or, or benefit yeah. from it this time. Yeah. So yeah. the thing about this funny thing is the uh, recency bias, because it, it's psychology. Mm. The, so these speculators, mm-hmm. right, they tend to have this recency bias that they are very successful in their previous strategy. And they look mm. at this same analogy to apply it right now. So I think that's explained a very clear picture. See? If I can bring yeah. this back, right? So, yeah. okay, my, say the debt ceiling increases. This is upon the fact that it's agreed that debt ceiling is going to be increased, right? And, and hopefully yes. it will. At that point in time, money market mutual funds will absorb some of it, but the rest might be absorbed by the Fed or by the Reserve Bank. This will then increase yield, either by speculation or whatever. That, that for me is how to what degree as us investors if this is going to happen what do you recommend we should do for now right if you are talking about the situation it's, coming, it's think, inevitable there's nothing you can do <laughs> no, so you're talking about investors right now right so number yes. one you got to look at this situation now is if everything if you go back to the picture of 2011 yeah the market did did don't think down here the market did fall by 20 percent or so but eventually the market rebound right but that also depends on number one we got to be very nimble in the way of how we tackle this situation. So we could potentially be, say, hey, don't immediately fire your shots, you see. So you've got to keep some ammo towards the end of the day. And now because of the question is, what will the Fed do? So do not forget that the Fed now is doing QT, right? So eventually, mm. yields will go up. Okay, Whether it goes up on a drastic way where speculators push up further or the normal gentle way. But with QT in mind, right, that means this yield itself, right, coming back down again to, let's say, about we're talking about 1% or because the 10-year yield now is about 3.8%. So going back mm-hmm. down to 2% mm-hmm. or even below this year's low, which is, seems to be very remote right now in this case. Because the Fed already said, I do not want to pause. Even if you look at the current situation, right, right, the Fed funds futures, right, four weeks ago, we are talking for a pause, uh, close to about 60 plus percent. Four weeks ago, that's four weeks ago. Mm. But right now, despite the US debt ceiling thing going on, right, the market expectation now after the latest round of Fed speak, start to price it at least 60% chance of a hike in June. So there's a 180 degree turn. Uh. So the big question over here is the Fed seems to be doesn't look at the short term picture. That means, hey, no more mind. Even though there's a liquidity squeeze in the system right now, right? My clear thing is right now I'm still looking at inflation rather yeah. than okay. the, the adverse effect of the liquidity squeeze. Yeah. So I think a few bits that I want to pick up, right? One is yeah. you know, I completely understand kind of reasoning back to the eleven the twenty eleven debt ceiling debates. And what happened yeah. there? I think the main difference here is that, hey, this time round, 
um, markets did not fall 20%. There was no, you know, um, yeah. kind of temporary cheap bargain to, to pick up as the uncertainty picked yes. up, right? There, there was That's a bit of uncertainty it. here and there, and quite a lot of uncertainty here and there, but the market just, boom, I just go up. I do not care what people say. I just go up, right? But, okay. you know, other than that, going back to more important point, I think, about the Fed and all that, and I thought it was kind of surprising that, oh, you know, okay, we are now kind of pricing in another hike in June, I think, Um, even though last time round, they were sort of hinting at a pause. And as yeah. it relates to the banking crisis, I think actually over the last few months, maybe the Fed has got a bit more confidence in the sense that if there is any liquidity squeeze um on a particular bank, it is something they can control. Right, it's something that they can kind of like. Oh, it's a small tumor. I excise it. I move on with life. It's not going to be a stage four cancer that has spread across the entire system. Unlike full blown banking crisis in two thousand eight, right? This is liquidity. I control liquidity as a Fed. I can kind of deal with it. Um, I yep. think what's maybe a bit more concerning to me is that well, they are, they're going to hike rates. Great, I think that's fine. We we seem to be approaching the point in the cycle where things start breaking down, right? And you know, all these liquidity squeezes and all that are kind of symptoms of that breakdown. So if we are going to keep hiking and if we are going to do continue doing QT and quasi-QT by this large issuance of bills, then in a sense, are we increasing the risk of over-tightening? Yeah, so this question over here is, a lot of people are looking about the Fed put, right? So the Fed will come yep. in and rescue the market, mm-hmm. all this, you know. It's gone. Actually, yeah, so that this yeah. Fed put seems doesn't seem to be working right now at this point yeah. in time. I mean, the market so, going up, the Fed run the put also cannot. Yeah, so now the big problem is uh, this market, your market is going up, but it's only one area of the market is going up, which is the, you talk about the AI stocks, right? And the tech stocks yep. is going mm. up. So you look at the Dow Jones and the Russell 2000, they are not going up, you know. This would be so, a shitty bull market yeah. if you know the bull market, you know. <laughs> so it comes to the point that then those value investors, you look at, hey, are you going to take a look at NVIDIA which is trading at what, 48-50 times right now? <laughs> so so, so the, the big question over here is that for even though if you are a long-term value investor, they're saying that, uh, yeah, I know that there's this so-called tech stock that are quality stock is going up, but is it worth the money paying buying at this PE ratio, be it forward PE ratio or whatever metrics? Then the next question is, hey, I hunt for bargain stocks stocks in the Russell 2000, like we're talking about some of the smaller cap stocks, or we're talking about defensive stocks like healthcare, which is, uh, have a relatively lower PE compared to the S&P, which is like 18 times right now. Mm. Then the next thing I'll ask ourselves is, uh, hey, yes, I can look into that, but what if I underperform the market? Because at the end of the day, my bonus is still mm. depends on whether I can beat the market or not, right? Mm. So there's some, some farm manager, they have this uh, stupid mandate inside their, their team, right? I cannot buy stock at a premium of XYZ against the benchmark index, you see. So, yeah. so the thing about all here is that they are okay. stuck. I mean, a lot of people are stuck at this moment in time. So the big question over here is, it's going to be very challenging, especially in, if you are looking at the US market to actually as one of the asset class. So yeah. if you go to Asia, it will be much more easier. Because valuations are cheaper, and that's why mm. why Japan now is booming <laughs> at this point in time. So what you're saying is there is uh, all likelihood that it's going to be approved. I mean, I assume it's going to be approved, but we'll know yes. soon enough, right? Yeah. At that point in time, there will be a squeeze no matter what happens. At that point in time, the yield will go up, which could mean that you know the market in the US is not a great value for investors to do so. You expect maybe perhaps a bit of a, of a decline in the market. Yep. Am I right to say so? Yeah. Yep. Yes. So okay. that's a bit of... you, you go up, stock go down. Like, I think that's been a lesson over Correct. the past 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> then, of course, the other question, I mean, which we didn't touch on was the FX, but we don't need to touch on it today. Right? You, what does that mean yep. for the USD? But so if that happens, where else can our coconuts put their money into? 
Nikkei! Right, because you... And we move on to the next story. <laughs> if US is becoming tight and you know a lot of people are investing to the US, let's show them something else that they can invest into. Maybe Calvin, take us through what's happening with the Nikkei from all of this US debt ceiling talk. Okay, so Nikkei has been underperforming against the rest of the world for about mm. three, four years. Huh? So the... 20. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so it's not they lost are... decade anymore. It's like lost decade. Was it? Nineteen nineties was the so, last so, good one. So, right? okay. In terms of don't, don't talk about the China. Don't talk about mm. the Singapore. We talk about like Europe and US. Even Europe itself. You look at some of the benchmark like DAX, right, or the Cat Forty. They are already surpassed their previous all-time high. Then US is keep making new highs. You see, in the last decade or so. But in case still below it, nineteen ninety high. That was the okay property bubble burst. So since then, right, there's this thing about deflation spiral, okay? That means, mm. i.e., we're talking about big growth and low prices. So with that, right, we start to see a export of a fleet of capital. That means Japanese itself, there are Japanese corporation and their institution whatsoever. They are the biggest exporters of capital yep. to the rest of the world because no point investing in my own country, right? We're talking about deflation, right? So mm. all the MNC mm. starts to invest overseas. So that actually kind of uh, lead to what I call the lost decade in Nikkei. And also do not forget okay. over here is that in the early 2000, starting for 2000, 2003, we start to see the birth of uh, BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, which is emerging markets. So everybody talking about, hey, emerging market is the new sexy thing. Why? Because we're talking about Demographics are good. It's a very young population. So we're talking about young population. There is chance of high productivity lead to high growth. So a lot of us say that, hey, BRICS itself is one of the asset class or mm. a joy go class to look at. So that actually causes a double whammy for Japan. Old aging population, low productivity, forget about it. All right. Mm. So now the question over here is, start of late last year, China has now facing a kind of a China is one of the champions, one of the stars of BRICS, together with India, definitely. I, I think the, the whole BRICS except India is gone. La. And even India has like... <laughs> right? okay. I mean, Brazil has corporate governance issues. Russia is dead. Correct, even if you've correct. got money there, you can't take it out. Um, yeah, India, right. yeah. South Africa, no, no, don't bother. So, so, so yeah, so, so maybe to shortcut this a bit, um, part of the attraction of, of Japan now are, are really two things, right? One is, you know, they have really been trying to stimulate inflation for the past 20 years, have failed yep. um, miserably yep. until yep. global inflation, you know, took root and then, hey, Japan got affected. So so they got some inflation there now. <laughs> you know, the finally monetary policy did some <laughs> it's working. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't know whether it's monetary policy or something <laughs> like that. Finally, the yep. effect they wanted to happen. Yeah, yeah. Something right? like, and, yeah. and then now they're going, oh, okay, fine. I might need to change my monetary policy a bit because I don't need to keep stimulating inflation. Right? I think that mm-hmm. that's one. And I think that's maybe the big one. Two is... No, I think that there's been, I mean, Japan has always been see, seen a bit as undervalued, you know, same as the DAX, same as the London Stock Exchange. Everybody for the past decade has just looked at tech, right? Because if you're not in tech, you were kind of, you, you confirm lose to your competitors. So, mm-hmm. so now that tech is maybe losing a bit of a shine, you know, then there is a bit of a flight towards other markets, right? And, and pushing of liquidity in, into those other markets to get the gains that, to get the yeah, returns that they need to get. La. And I think partially, you know, Warren Buffett lent a lot of his aura to this by saying, oh, I've gone to buy all five of the big Japanese trading houses. And, you know, that that is where I think my, my growth is that is value to me. Oh, yeah, I think that is a very significant marketing push, you see, to make uh, Japan great again. <laughs> because because <laughs> don't forget, the thing about Warren Buffett, right, he's been very, he's, okay, 
the philosophy of Warren Buffett is he always invests majority of his portfolio in US. That is mm. philosophy of course he like then don't right bet now, against America, right? <laughs> yeah. So now he's suddenly saying that hey, after he made a trip to meet the key policymakers in Japan, and now he publicly said that hey, Japan is my kind of second largest portfolio right now, in a way. So that actually lent a bit of uh, credibility about this Japan resurgence story, at least in the medium mm. term. All right. Yeah. Because we're talking about long term, right? We still look at productivity, you see. So the thing about Japan over here is that due to their culture philosophy is that they don't really look at ways to replenish their workforce through uh, foreign talent in a way. So the, everything, they tend to be more localized. And definitely, you look at the birth rate of Japan, is you won't see it changing this year or the, or the next five years, you see. So in the long term, it could still be a, a drag, you see. So, but in the medium term, we are now, it's the thing about investors right now, uh, even uh, tactical investors, is because of Tina. There's no other alternative to look at. <laughs> so no, I mean, those... I, look, I, I get your point. I think Japan is, is an attractive Asian story, um, especially if you can't do China, right? To, to me, the alternative yep, yeah. is China, right? You, you want exposure yes. to emerging markets, to Asia, to big Asian markets. Well, China, some people consider uninvestable, right? Whether it's political risk or... I just don't like it. Um, so yep. who's closest to it? Well, that, that's Japan, lah. You know, and and yep. if and to the extent that you know we we start de-risking, um, in, in different <laughs> okay. supply chains, then yes. whatever is that's being done by China now really gets on short or near short. You know, into the closest allies, and in which case that will be Japan and South Korea, and, yep. and that really yes. pushes. The, the domestic economy or, or at least the Japanese companies up a bit. Yes, precisely. So that is one area where the geopolitical situation right now is actually uh, supporting this, we call it de-risking, where we start to see yep. supply chain mm-hmm. being flown back to much more, we call it friendly countries. <laughs> so so I, Japan I, will tend to benefit from this, you see, in one area. See. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, have a, I have a question here, right? These seem yeah. to be external factors affecting the Nikkei, right, or Japan. Yes. Right. These aren't actually internal factors, you know, with the companies, et cetera, et cetera, like mm-hmm. what you've just said, right? Because companies are investing mm-hmm. elsewhere. What happens when these inter- external factors change, for okay, example? So there's actually two push. Right? The biggest push of the internal factor will be flow of funds back into Japan. So don't forget that mm-hmm. Japanese, uh, you have this uh, very big insurer, the Japan's insurer. There's a name for that in Japanese. I think recently, they, most of their holdings are in international stocks, yeah? So mm. right now, right, the based on the latest report put out by them, they are now slightly more in favor of investing in their local Japanese market. So that is really trillions worth. So we're worth starting of, to see investment inside. Yeah, yeah so trillion worth of ammo that is get that could be actually flow back into Japan. So we're talking about potential flight to capital, uh, flight to capital back mm. to Japan. So that's an internal factor. Mm. And I believe that the biggest push of this internal flight to factor got to come from BOJ itself, the Bank of Japan. Okay, so the funny thing about Japan for the for our listeners, right? You know, core inflation, right? Core inflation is uh, excluding energy and food. In Japan, right, they they have this one called core inflation and core core inflation, core square inflation. Core inflation in, in Japan, right, is excluding uh a food. Then core core inflation is excluding food and energy. Okay, so mm. you look at the core core inflation, now we call it sticky inflation, now, has been accelerating at a very fast pace. So especially the most recent one on last Friday, they call it the Tokyo Tokyo CPI core core inflation actually uh, went up to close to about a 30 year plus year high at 2.4% year on year. So if you look at the speed uh, of acceleration of inflation, right, be it core core or core inflation, right, it's been close to about seven or eight consecutive months mm-hmm. in a row so far. It's the longest so far. There's been above BOJ target of 2%. 
So now the problem over here is this. BOJ itself has been rather hesitant to normalize their ultra easing policy. That actually causes, hey, hey, since you don't normalize, right, my flow of funds will still be in Japan looking for better yields, outside Japan looking for better yields. So now the BOJ, right, a lot of speculators, a lot of research houses saying that Japan is still dependent on the global economy. Uh. So right now, global economy is still doing fine. I mean, I mean, we're talking about US itself. Worst case scenario, we're talking about a soft landing so far. We don't call it a very hard landing. So the window of opportunity right now for BOJ to normalize its policy, but at least giving a bit of guidance by not say from negative interest rate immediately to positive. The first plan they could do is to extend their yield curve control policy. Because right now, they're, they're still allowing the, the yield to be at 0%, the 10-year Japanese JGB yield, but fluctuate yeah. by 0.5 and negative 0.5. Being so now they already extended in somewhere around in November before the ex-governor left. So right now, the opportunity for this new governor, perhaps somewhere around the second half of this year, this is the best chance for him to actually do it. Rather, yes. if you delay for another year, what if US goes into a hard landing? That would be a big problem, right? <laughs> for you to normalize your ultra so policy. In, in, yeah. in your case, is to say, these are external factors. These are the things that are happening. Yes, there are some internal factors with your, with your company. Yes. But now it is a brilliant time for Japanese policymakers to be making these moves because yes. there is traction. Yep. Precisely, there's traction right now. So the key thing is that if they start to make this move, right, if everything goes well, especially the JGB yields don't spike up, because what they are afraid, right, is because, let's like say speculators again, because of this Japanese inflation keep picking up and speculators start shorting the JGB by the futures market. So the more they short, right, there's a big risk that if suddenly uh, BOJ say, hey, I just removed the YCC. Can you mention the 10-year yield, right, from, from what 0.5% could just spike up to 2% overnight? So yeah. that, that would be a big problem for Japan. Huh? You know? so, yeah, exactly. So, it's a big reason. So, so BOJ do not want that to happen. So you look at right now, right, the way Japanese policymakers are. So I believe that a couple of months down, there will be some guys who are being what I call this uh, Yuda expert uh, of speaking, his way of speaking, <laughs> or try to decipher what he's saying. So right now, he's bringing a big message. He said, hey, Japanese economy are good. We are looking to normalize. Then after today, he's saying that, hey, we are still a bit concerned about inflation. It may not be as optimistic as it could be. It could fall back slightly in the second half of this year. So we're right. going to keep our policy as status quo. So he's throwing a lot of mixed messages. Also. So I believe that his tactic right, is to prevent speculation in the JJB futures market. To so avoid I'm, that, that jump. He wants to make a... I, I also believe that he's not a bureaucrat. He's an economist. Mm. Uh. He do understand the window of opportunity present to him right now. So what his concern is that he do not want, hey, after I normalize, overnight the JGV yield, the 10-year JGV spike up to 2%. So I think he does not want that to happen. Yeah. So he's now trading a bit of water over here. Is it? Got it. Got it. So yeah. I guess the, the question here is, you know, let's see what's happening with the US debt ceiling. But the other opportunity here is a flight to capital into the Nikkei, right? And you can buy the yes. index, for example, an index fund or whatever that you'd like. But correct, there is an correct. opportunity in Japan um, that we should be looking out for. In, in other words, coconuts, that's what you're trying to say, right? Coconuts, look at Japan. There could be an opportunity. Do your own research as usual. This is not yeah. financial advice. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, to come with counterpoints to this, right? So yes. one is, you know, definitely liquidity is flowing. That's great. Um, yeah. you know, but I think we are not Warren Buffett, right? So, so what Warren Buffett kind of did very interestingly was instead of getting his USD to convert into JPY and buy, he took out JPY loans to buy whatever shares he needed to buy, you know, off the faith of his balance sheet. Yes. So from there, he didn't have FX risk in that sense, yes. or he could hedge his FX risk, right? Because Precisely. And, Precisely, and also yes. because of that, he took a bit of an interest rate arbitrage because um, JGBUs are low, so, you know, his JPY loans are cheap. 
right? So so he could structure all that to kind of get a bit more leverage and a bit more and boost his returns a bit. You know, yes, as pretty yeah. you don't necessarily have the same. You okay? You definitely don't have the same. We boosting, don't right? la, We don't. No um, I, don't I go to DB. I go to uh, and ask them for a JPY loan. They, they will laugh at me, right? Yes. <laughs> like I want JPY loan to buy stocks. JPY loan to buy SMB stocks. They will laugh at me, right? Um. So yeah. so one that that's not going to happen. You are not Warren Buffett in terms yeah. of whatever structuring and resources you can do, right? And two is, I think, you know, Japan and part of the reason why Japan has always been a bit of a value trap is there is a lot of complexity. There is a lot of lack of transparency in the market, whether it's because the companies themselves are very tightly held. There's a lot of cross holdings even within conglomerate groups. So you don't actually know, you can't untangle that much who owns what, right? And you can't really assess enterprise value in the same way that you would because your web of holdings is just too tangled. So there were real reasons besides just liquidity that led to Japan being a bit of a value trap. There is a bit of a shift in terms of like corporate governance attitudes and people wanting to do better mm-hmm. for shareholders and all that, which maybe closes that gap, right? But but that's a work in progress. You know, and like, you know, alert management all that trying to get the essentially Japanese public equities to not be so stick in the mud, right? But that is taking a while. And and that's also why Warren Buffett doesn't buy one company, right? He buys the five big trading houses. He essentially goes, I don't need to analyze all of you. I just have to buy the five biggest ones, yeah. right? Because yeah. you all will do well in the industrial age and, you know, Japan will do well and I have loans and, and that's that. So he hasn't gone, this this one is value, the other four. No, he just goes, I buy all five. I don't care, right? It's like buying Samsung and SK and the SK Group and mm. all of that. I just buy all the conglomerates. So, yep. you know, I think there are real risks. Like Japan has always been risky for various reasons like FX and all that. There are still real risks to that, right? Yes. Li- liquidity flows might push the markets up a bit and maybe close the valuation gap a bit but given that it has pushed it up quite a bit already you know are we kind of squeezing the last few drops of juice from it if we're entering now i think that is the question or is the expectation that a lot more liquidity will start flowing in over the next year or two and therefore it is a continued rise and you Mm. couple that with like changes in the actual market structure itself then then that will lead to good times for japanese stocks yeah, precisely. So I think, Anthony, what you made is very good, valid points on, especially on the corporate governance side of the story. Yeah. So yeah, that were once of the negative aspect where you, where actually causes Japan to underperform against the rest of the world in the last mm. ten or fifteen years or so. Like I would say again, as we as retail investors, right? I mean, we we don't have the financial resources and masses like Warren Buffett, where he's able to structure a what I call a hedge trade on the Japanese yeah. stock. So I think one way over here is, uh, okay, so before we, uh, I put a disclaimer, <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to promote any company. There's actually out there uh, right now, we call it FXH uh, ETFs, Exchange okay. Traded Fund for Investors. Investors who actually Googled this uh, ETF manager called Wisdom Tree, they have a hmm. H ETF on Japan. Yeah. So I think that's the best I can go. Uh, not promoting them, but it's a knowledge it U- that... USDH or SGD? Uh, it's actually USD. So they take off the, the FX risk so what you're seeing now is actually the pure return in terms of dollar, yeah. But uh, uh, less hedging costs, the, la, but yes. USD, <laughs> uh, On the draw side, there will be some. So it's become active management, you see, a bit of active management. So mm. the cost will be slightly higher. Yeah. Yeah. So it's mm. a bit of research. Uh. So I believe that this is the current moment, current ETF at this point in time that offer hedge ETF. Yeah. It's a good knowledge to actually take a look at it. Yeah. Cool. Okay, cool. Fair enough. Thanks. Thanks so much. I think this was informative we did go back uh, back and forth it's also taken us quite a while but i yeah. think this was 
this was this was quite informative, right? Because of of just one thing that we're talking about and all its cascading effects. Yeah, and, it's, and it's we haven't covered example. like I don't think we've even covered half of it, right? <laughs> like, no, we haven't. Just, we haven't even considered all so the variables many. yet, right? See, so, so, yes, so I, I think I think the, the the smartest way is what we said. I think in market update. Oh, sorry, none of you were there, right? Rakesh, you were on holiday. Um, no, yeah. sorry, said on market update three weeks ago. At the end of the day, they'll pass it. There will be temporary effects. They'll all go back to normal. Stocks will go up and to the right. Just buy. Don't care. Just buy. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> he's saying See, that because, you know, he's the Warren Buffett. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you know, I mean we, we have been like kind of banging the table on NVIDIA um, <laughs> yes, last year or so. We have. So, yes. Yeah. Anyways, thank you. Thank okay. you guys so much cool. for, for coming through. Kelvin, thanks again for coming back. This sure, was once sure. again informative. And Coconuts, hopefully you learned a thing or two. Not too confusing out there, but we tried to bring as much structure as we could. And we'll see you again next week. All right. Thank Bye you. Guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh. And trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.